listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen, amen. God bless you all. It is a joy and an honor to see all of you here in the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online right now, I'm a little bit jealous because it's raining outside. It's super cozy and you're still in your pajamas and set up at the house. And I want you to know that the Lord will forgive you for that, Uh, but we love you, and we're going to pray that you have some good church right in your house. Uh, Thank you for joining with us. Praise the Lord First Church. Let's give a hand to everybody joining us online right now. All right, real quick, a couple housekeeping things. We're starting seven days of prayer and fasting today. I invite all of you to be a part of this. For seven days, we're very intentional about our daily prayer times, and we're quite focused about our disciplines of devotion, quiet time, prayer. Uh, I always define it that way because I've learned this. If I make space in my life, it's easy to pray. If I make quiet time, it's easy to pray. But if I don't make quiet time, it's almost impossible to pray. And don't act right just like you, you it's easy for you. It, we all get busy. Uh, so seven days prayer and fasting, I encourage you to find something in your life that you will give up for a week to help you be reminded of your focus uh, upon spiritual things this week. Next Sunday, we will be celebrating together the Lord's Supper. And that is, uh, of course something that we will do here in person. Those of you who are online, you need to prepare uh, for next Sunday. If you want to partake of the Lord's Supper with us, you will need to prepare your fruit of the vine and some type of a unleavened bread or uh, something that works in that regard uh, for you. Uh, Hasn't a praise team did a great job today? Didn't they just... They just did a great job. They're so, so talented. I'm proud of all my students. I've spent a lot of time developing them. And uh, I was watching uh, Dee Dee over here, and I was astounded because she has on heels. You know, she's a humble person, but she wears heels. You know what I'm saying? That's funny. I don't care if they didn't laugh. Okay, and she's like praising the Lord, eyes closed, never stopped singing and twirling around in high heels, hands in the air, singing, twirling around. I can't do that barefoot. All right, moving along. Um, today for, is the last Sunday for a while for Austin. Austin, where are you at? Wave your hand at me, Austin. Austin has got a great job. He has just finished his school. Um, he is an overachiever. He's super smart. He has a work ethic like you wouldn't believe. He donates that to the Lord. Every, yes. You see this love, Austin? Every project in the last year or two that we've done improving production, uh, upgrading uh, facilities, everything, he has been involved in while carrying a credit load to get three degrees uh, from uh, University of North Carolina. And so uh, he's gone for a few weeks. If you were my son, I would be super proud of you. I want you to know it. I want all them to hear me say it. If you do something silly, I'm going to hunt you down, and we're going to have, a, I'm going to have words, okay? All right, uh, let's see. Am I forgetting anything? Uh, we have a baptism here today. Uh, little London's going to be baptized. <laughs> Excited about that. And uh, if ever a child needed it, if ever a child... No, I'm just having fun. I'm just... 
having fun. All right, we're on message four, sermon four, lesson four, uh, thank you, uh, of a series for the new year. We've been entitling, How Is That Working Out For You? The idea being that we have a way of dealing with circumstances, we have a way of coping with problems, but our way of dealing and our way of coping is not necessarily spiritual. And the Word of God has given us a right way to cope, and not just cope, but a right way to heal. But that struggle is in our minds, and my subtitle today is Ready, Set, Fight, uh, because I was feeling violent during the week, so that's what's up with that. Um, first steps, lessons four, this is the, inter- the process of integrating new people into our church. We make a time after the 11 o'clock service to get to know one another, go through some introductions to First Church. Uh, that is lesson four today, and that is where we connect you to ministry opportunities where you can be a part. Next week, we start back lesson one. Let's get started. Uh, Will you help me preach for a few moments? Thank you very much. Uh, You know, I always preach less than two hours. I always preach less than two hours, and so we're going to get started. Uh, Theme scripture is Romans chapter number 12, verse number 2. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation, uh, verse number 2, do not be conformed. Somebody say conformed. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let's not rush past this. Let's accept it. The battles that we fight are in the place of our mind. The battlefield that we wrestle upon is in our mind. And yes, there is a way... Uh, that we've learned through experience. There is a way that we learn from parents and school and our cultural inheritances, such as they are, of coping with things. And uh, our way of doing it is not near as good as God's way of doing it. I'm going to say it again. I want uh, hopefully this side, this is the backslidden side. I want you guys to say a real big amen, and that is this. My way of coping is not as good as God's way of healing. Um, I must manage my mind. Why? Uh, Christian psychologist Henry Cloud made a statement about spiritual transformation that I think Uh, is in many ways helpful to us. He said this, grace plus truth plus time. Grace plus truth plus time. Why must we seek to control our thoughts in a biblical way? Now, if I get to moving fast, you guys know I get excited sometimes. All of these notes are on the website. You can download them at your leisure, but next Sunday, I expect you to have them all memorized, uh, and there will be a test. if I can remember what I preached. If I can't, there will not be a test. Uh, There is a necessity in our life to control our thoughts. Why is that? I'm going to give you three reasons the Bible shows us that teaches us the place of the battle is right here. And that is, first of all, uh, I must manage my thoughts because my thoughts control my life. I manage my thoughts because my 
thoughts control my life. I'm reading Proverbs chapter number four, verse number 23. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Now I'm going to read Romans 7, 22 and 23. Uh, this is the Living Bible. I love to do God's will. This is Paul's confession to all the believers who will read this letter to the church at Rome. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature uh, is concerned, but there's something else deep within me that is at war with my mind. The war is right here in my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin within me. In my mind, I want to be God's servant, but instead I find myself enslaved to sin. This is the, se the second reason why. The first reason why was because our thoughts will control our life. Another scripture on that is as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, that's all the Sunday school people who grew up in Sunday school right there. The second reason is because this battlefield of uh, shaping our future, this battlefield of the way of God versus the way of the flesh, this, this battlefield between, this is Paul, not me, the battlefield between my new nature that is God-given and my old nature, which is my spiritual history of bondage, this battle is happening in my mind. Something deep within my mind, it's at war, he says, with my mind. Uh, and so this battlefield of the mind is where we wrestle and where we war spiritually. The third reason I want to show you in the scripture as to why you need to make a serious spiritual commitment to managing your thoughts is this. Uh, it's the key this controlling your thoughts is the key to your spiritual peace and also the key to your sense of life and life more abundantly, or let me use modern terminology, it is the key to your happiness. Romans 8, verse number 6, New Living Translation. If your sinful nature controls your mind, what's happening? Your sinful nature is controlling your mind. The writer says that's like death. It is it's death to you. Why? Because you're living under the curse of sin and death. But he continues, if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life. Somebody say life and peace. Oh, preacher, I just want to have life and life more abundantly. Okay, what's controlling your mind? The old way of coping, the old way of telling yourself narratives in order to lessen the pain, the old way of self-deception where you never have to look in the mirror and face your faults, or is the Holy Spirit leading you? Is the Holy Spirit healing you? Is the Holy Spirit correcting you convicting you and yes, transforming you. 
You see, this is why we must commit not just to have the mindset of a survivor. People have survived terrible, terrible things. Everything from terrible health circumstances to concentration camps, they have survived. Uh, Philosophers have survived. Psychologists have survived. And out of all of these experiences comes a certain inheritance of wisdom. And it is the best thinking of philosophers. And it's the best idea of psychologists. And it's not that these things have no value. It's that although they are the wisdom of the human experience, they ultimately are temporal. In other words, they're built upon the sand. They only make sense as long as there's hope. But as soon as hope is gone, all of the world's wisdom no longer makes sense. What you need is hope because wisdom has lost the battle of that moment. But when you build upon eternal things, there is no such thing as hopelessness. That is why the Apostle Paul admits that believers, we grieve when we go through difficult times. When we lose loved ones, we grieve. Yes, it's sad. I hurt. I, I, I want to hide. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Anyway, enough about this morning. Uh, <laughs> I wanna, I'm just like you, but I never can say that I have no hope. Why? Because even when this life comes to an end, uh, Christ is my victory. Even Even when this body dies, I am taken up into the promises of God and yet remains hope. All right, so uh, moving along here in a most organized manner, uh, we must choose on a regular basis, I would say on a daily basis, sometimes even more than a daily basis, we must choose to let our thoughts represent uh, eternal things. We must choose God's way of coping. Some of you are in financial uh, straits. I know it's not many of you. Most of you are trust fund babies, and you pretty much just jet set around the country. Uh, But there's a few people here that are in financial difficulties. Now, there is a human way of coping with that. There's the way your family taught you. There's the way your mama taught you. All of these coping mechanisms that are not bad. They are the human experience, and they're good. And this advice that the job, uh, the career counselor gives you is good, but it's not eternal. You need something more than that. You need foundations. And so you can look at the same thing that's causing other people to despair and say, yeah, I'm worried, but it's not like I don't have hope. God is on my side. I, I, I fear, yeah, but it's not as though the fear owns me. I can step out of that fear and stand upon the promises of God. So I must choose to deal with things spiritually minded. Three choices that we make uh, to manage our mind. Now, let's admit the battle is right here. So smile at your neighbor and say, the preacher's trying to say you're a little bit crazy. Go ahead and tell him. Go ahead and tell him. The the preacher's trying to tell you um, that you're just a little bit crazy. Uh, That's the fancy way of saying the the battle is right here. I'm about to get blessed by the Spirit here in just a moment. Um, uh, Right here, this is where the battle, this is where the struggle is right here. Uh, Good to see you, Israel. I just saw you out of the corner of my eye. Blessings upon you. Been a while. God bless, Brother Israel. 
All right, moving along. So this is the battlefield. What are we going to do to win this battle? Number one, I am going to feed my mind with truth. Now, this isn't just my opinion. This is a biblical, a biblical truth. Jesus, in chapter 4 of Matthew, he points this out. People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God, more than bread. They must have the word of God in their life. We must commit ourselves not just to a human way of seeing. Uh, we're not just people. We are seeking to be people who are representative of the kingdom of God. We're not just sojourners. Uh, we are seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. Can I have a big amen? I must feed my mind with truth because the spiritual man within me, he consumes that like it is spiritual sustenance. We say when we are going to a civil type of event and we are being uh, sworn into a civil duty, you swear or you affirm uh, that you will tell the truth, uh, but there's more, right? The whole truth, uh, but there's more and nothing but the truth. So help me God. We are experts at standing upon something that is true, but is a sub truth. I want to explain what I mean by that. We are so so often guilty of identifying something that is true to us. And it at that moment could actually be said to be true. Here's the thing. That thing is not the whole truth. And it's certainly not the truth with God on your side. Do you see what I'm saying? I can say to myself, uh, I don't have any friends. And if I am without friends, uh, it might be true that I'm not having uh, people I'm hanging out with. Uh, it may be true it's a new job. It may be true it's a new school. It may be true it's a new career. It may be a new neighborhood. I have no friends. You have spoken uh, truth, but you have not spoken uh, the whole truth. And if you satisfy yourself with just the truth that in some way copes, helps you cope, you will have starved the spiritual man or woman that is on the inside. You, not, you need more than just the truth of your coping style confession. You need the truth that is your divine context because if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is your friend, you can never say, I have no friends. If God said he would be with you, you will make it. And if God's on your side, then it might be that the truth you are standing on is utterly incomplete and has been removed by a higher truth. We must care about the truth. We must speak God's truth. Uh, I don't just mean in doctrinal uh, affirmation. That's important. Most of us don't struggle with that. I don't mean just in uh, kind of avoiding a heresy. That's a real concern, but most of us don't uh, struggle with that. What we we struggle with is to speak the voice of promise and the voice of favor and the voice of protection over our lives. That's what we wrestle with, to be able to say to our fears, you are not going to control me. I stand upon the promises of God. 
Um, I, uh, if, you are a, if you're of a certain age, um, you will remember one of the most famous uh, movies of the 80s, and it was a Tom Cruise movie, uh, and the title of it was Rain Man. Now, kids, you don't know anything about this movie, and you think you're Rain Man because you came to church in the rain. Uh, but your parents, there was a famous movie back in the day. Interesting thing about the movie is uh, it was a real man's life. The, the savant in the movie um, is a real man who lived. His name is Kim Peek, and he inspired that movie. Uh, Mr. Peek was what was called a mega savant. Um, a savant is somebody who uh, possesses um, remarkable ability, almost magical ability in one to three subjects. Uh, Mr. Peake had uh, savant ability in 15 subjects, including history, sports, space, music, and geography, among others. Um, no one who has ever lived, at least uh, in modern, uh, the modern observation of the mind, uh, had, uh, has a brain any more extraordinary than, than uh, Mr. Peake's. He had total recall of over 9,000 books. Most people haven't read 9,000 books. Uh, it was discovered a unique feature of his mind as the uh, doctors examined him. They could block this eye from what this eye was seeing and block this eye from what this eye was seeing and set up two separate books where this eye could not see it and flip the pages together and his brain would have perfect recall of both books. I can't even sing and spin over here by myself. And here's a guy who can have complete recall of two books at once. Uh, uh, in fact, a page that would take the normal person three minutes to read, Pete could read in 10 seconds and have complete uh, recall. Uh, he read all of Shakespeare's plays, and yes, he could quote all of Shakespeare's plays. He went to a performance one time of uh, Shakespeare's play entitled Twelfth Night, and as the, the play... Now, remember, now he was... Uh, I don't know the exact technical, um, some version of autistic type, uh, how he would be classified, but he was somewhere on that spectrum. Uh, I don't, of course, have the exact details on that, but he could not stand something to be misquoted. It would drive him crazy. He would have a personal crisis if something was misquoted. And at this play of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, um, at the end of it, right toward the end, uh, Mr. Pete jumped up and started shouting to the crowd, you've got to stop it, you've got to stop it. And then he started going, stop it, 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 stop it until they stopped it because, you know, uh, things must happen. And uh, afterwards, they tried to figure out what had happened and the actor had skipped the second to the last verse of the play. And he asked to meet Mr. Peake and he apologized. And he said, I'm so sorry, it just didn't seem important. And Mr. Peake said, it mattered to William Shakespeare and it should matter to you. And everybody in the room said, <laughs> if the truth matters, then the truth matters. Now, I'm having fun with that story, but we are so quick to feed our minds people's opinions. And we are so quick to feed our minds people's fears. And we're so quick to feed our mind what our third cousin on my mama's side said. And everybody knows it's your mama's side that's crazy. Everybody knows that. Says so in the scripture. Isn't that right? Well, better not ask my mama on that one. I want you to see we need to feed our mind with God's truth all the time. 
Psalms 119, verse 147. I rise up early to cry out for help and put my hope in your words. 97 of the same chapter. Uh, Lord, how I love your word. I think about it all day long. Psalm 16 and 7. Even in the darkest of night, your teachings feel my mind. Let's go back to Psalms 119, 95. Even when wicked people hide to ambush and kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your decrees. I must feed my mind the truth. And can I have an amen? Amen. All right. So that's number one. The battle's in our head, right? You're a little bit crazy. And we're going to feed our mind with truth, not just your third cousin on your mama's side's opinion. Number two, I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. Now, this matters because uh, one of the first principles of maturity, both in the ordinariness of our lives and maturity in our spiritual walk is uh, aligned with that Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. All of us are capable of making the situation worse. All of us are capable of turning up the heat. All of us are capable of ending up in a worse condition uh, than when we started. How is that possible? Um, we have these coping workings in our brain, these destructive thoughts. They may even for a moment uh, seem like they're making it better, but these destructive thoughts are like too much bad food. Uh, it tastes good for a little while, uh, and then you have to live with the consequences. Uh, or as we used to say as kids, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. I'm just teasing. I'm better move along in a spiritual manner here. Um, I must free my thoughts from the destructive nature of the flesh. Now, let me to- show you real quick how important this is. There are three things. I'm, I'm using a lot of threes here today. There are three things. Uh, I find three is about the limit of what people can remember. There's more. I could do seven, but you be honest, you never remember past three. The three is all you've got for me, and after that, you're going to eat. So we're going to stick with three. All right. So the first enemy of our mind that will literally bring destruction to me is my old nature. The Apostle Paul, chapter seven of the book of Romans. I see in my body a principle at war with the law of my mind, taking me captive to the law of sin that is inside of me. There is something inside of me, what we refer to as the unregenerate part of ourselves, the part Jesus needed to die for, the, the center part of you. I know some of you are thinking, well, that's mostly me, and I'm having to say amen. That is mostly you. Uh, the part that needs to be transformed by the power of God, it wars against the Spirit. Our carnal thinking is enmity against God. That's a fancy King Jamesian way of saying it's the opposite of what God has for you. And if you walk by the old nature, you're going to get the fruit 
of what that old nature can produce in your life. Romans, we read it. There is this principle uh, at war in my mind taking me captive to the law of sin. He continues a few verses later, eight, chapter 8, verse number 5. Those who are dominated by their old nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. Your old nature, the, the, the carnal you, will be a destructive force in your mind. If you are allowing your carnal thoughts to have dominion of your mind, don't be surprised when it feels like you are spiritually making things worse rather than making them better. The second enemy of, uh, that, that will war uh, with destructive words in your mind is literally the, 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 the satanic influence of, of, of the manner in which demonic forces oppress people. Uh, This is not something that we uh, spend a lot of time talking about in a modern context because to the modern mind, this this seems a little bit crazy. But let me take you back further than the story of humanity. And that is rebellion does not start its story with humanity. It starts its story in the heavenlies where Lucifer rebels against the most high God. His plan is to uh, elevate himself and defeat God. This doesn't work, as you know. He falls from his place, and now he wars against the kingdom of God by trying to attack that which God loves. He failed at attacking God and not able to ascend that holy hill. Hell wants to hurt God by hurting you. This is the result of demonic oppression. This is why Lucifer shows up in the Garden of Eden. He can't when ascending the holy hill, so he wants to hurt what God loves. Let me remind you, God loves you. God wants you to have victory. God wants you to walk in spiritual confidence and joy. God's committed to you. God loves you. The enemy is trying to hurt you, not because he cares about you or cares one way or the other for anything but himself, but because hurting you is the only way to hurt God. I want you to see how much God must then love you if all of hell is against you. I want you to accept how much God must be committed to you if the devil himself shows up to fight you on a regular basis. Yes, hell wants to hurt you, but it cannot show up to hurt you without reminding you of how much God loves you. Uh, so I, I want to refer you to a passage, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. Uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about a man who has offended and hurt uh, the church and hurt him, himself. And uh, Paul says something uh, around verse 11 and 12. He, um, he says basically this, I've forgiven that man, I've forgiven that man so that Satan won't outsmart me. So Satan won't outsmart us. Why has he forgiven this man? 
because he understands how the enemy attacks. He understands. And then he says this, uh, we're familiar with the enemy's evil schemes. We are not ignorant of his devices. Satan will attack your mind. Satan will be a voice that's speaking to you saying there is no hope. It's too late. Your day has passed. Nobody loves you. Everybody hates you. You ought to have a worm salad. That's what the enemy is trying continually uh, to say to you. And you must, by the act of your will, you must say, not this. This is not what I need in my mind. I am rejecting this. God loves me so much that the only way the enemy can hurt God is to come after me. And therefore, I'm not going to focus on the enemy trying to hurt me. I'm going to focus on the God who loves me. All right, I'm moving quickly. Number three, the third enemy of your mind is really the values of the world, the world's way of coping, uh, the world's way of dealing. And again, it's not that all of the advice is bad. It's that at the end of the day, it all assumes you already have a reason to live. You already have a reason to make it. It has nothing to say to the person who has lost their why because there is not hope in this world. If you want something that will place hope in you, you have to find a higher wisdom than what the world can give you. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. All right, somebody say, I'm with you. Okay, almost done. In fact, musicians, you can start gathering yourself and coming up here. I want to give you, I want to give you now in conclusion, uh, practical ways that you can implement literally starting today to turn yourself away from uh, the fleshly way of coping and toward a spiritual way of overcoming. Uh, what is a stronghold and why does that matter? Let me, uh, let me read 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. I'm going to read a verse number 3. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Somebody say strongholds. Uh, We need to think about this because this is what we are struggling with oftentimes in our minds. We need spiritual weapons, divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul says we demolish any argument and any pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take, it, we take captive every thought. This is the place of the battle. We take captive every thought and what do we do? We make it obedient to Christ. All right, now back to this idea of strongholds. I do not want to rush through this. I want very quickly to you to grab onto this with both hands. And if you have a refrigerator in your heart, write it on the door of your refrigerator, okay? You all know you secretly have a refrigerator hidden away in your heart. All the things you really want to eat if you would let yourself. Uh, I want you to write this down. What is a spiritual stronghold? What is a spiritual stronghold? What is a spiritual stronghold? Where is the battle? It's in our mind. What is a spiritual stronghold? A spiritual stronghold is a lie that you have believed. 
You see, if it was just a lie, you might could shrug it off. If it was just a lie, you might could just say, nah, I don't think so. That doesn't feel right to me. But once you have believed a lie, it becomes a stronghold. Let me say it a little bit differently. A spiritual stronghold is a lie that has gained power over you. Uh, I worked with a lady uh, a couple years ago who, as a young teenage girl, early teens, she had to care for her mother who uh, was dying, dying of cancer. And her, this was a good, good, good few years back. She's a senior citizen now. And so there wasn't a lot of the modern type of palliative care uh, that would be appropriate in that kind of a situation. And so this young girl literally had to care for her mother while her mother died in front of her. And every day she would see the pain that her mother was in. And this was scarring to her. She did not know it at the time because... Uh, in the time and the place there was very much a kind of you just buck up and do what you have to do kind of that frontier mentality uh, which is uh, honorable in some ways and deeply damaging in others Um, and she literally lived most her life with a type of uh, PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder from at a very young and vulnerable age when she wasn't strong enough uh, to be that kind of hospice care for her mother. Uh, She watched her mother die. And the rest of her life, she had a tremendous fear that she would die like her mother did, um, mostly uh, in horrible pain and mostly alone, only with a child to care for her in her last days. And uh, this, 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 I want to be sympathetic and call it almost like a traumatic survivorship type thing that she had she had made it through. Um, and the rest of her life, uh, she would wake up at night with that, that, some version of that would be her stress dreams. We all have stress dreams. Uh, and however your stress dreams, some people dream of snakes. Some people dream of showing up naked at work. Uh, nowadays, you dream that you forgot to put your mask on. Um, we all have stress dreams. She had these stress dreams and she would wake up in, in cold sweats and she would be terrifying and she could not talk about it even with her pastor without breaking down and weeping. Um, it had been that marring to her. Now, what is going on here? Uh, this is a lie that has power over her, do you see? It has become a stronghold. She's not going to break that simply by positive mental attitude. She needs spiritual healing. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? The most important healing in our life is not physical healing. I thank God for physical healing. We celebrate it. We believe in it. But your soul is going to live forever. The most important healing is healing of the soul. And she needed truly a breakthrough in this stronghold. And so it is that we look at how we fight spiritually against a lie that has power over us. There is, of course, the obvious things. And that is uh, to to reveal the lie. And you do that by speaking truth to it. That is, of course, the most uh, foundational step. You need to find the scripture that speaks to that lie. And I know I'm talking to some people online right now. And I want you to commit to do this. This can't just be an inspirational moment for you. It has to turn to a devotional habit for you. Do you see the difference? Not enough for you to get inspired right now. You need to turn this into a devotional habit. I will always speak truth to the lies in my heart. I will never let a lie 
I have the last word. If I'm afraid I'm going to be alone, after that fear has whispered, I'm going to say, yea, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. I need to make sure that my thoughts are upon Jesus. I need to focus my mind on the right things. That is uh, number one, uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 8. Keep your mind on Jesus. Or uh, Hebrews 12, the author gives us the example of Jesus and said that Jesus held on even when wicked people were doing evil things to him. The writer says, think about Jesus' example. All he went through, he was able to keep his mind on that which was set before him. Do not get weary, the writer says, and quit trying. Keep your mind on Jesus. Number That's number one. Number two is remind yourself to think about others. You're not the only one dealing with this. You're not the only one facing this fear. You're not the only one dealing with financial difficulty. You're not the only one with a mysterious symptom wanting, waiting to know what the doctor thinks. It's other people also. Philippians 2 verse number 4. Don't just think about your own affairs but be interested in others too and in what they are doing or how about Hebrews 10 verse number 24. uh, Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. You guys have heard me teach this a lot. Let me just real quickly nail it down one more time. The kingdom of heaven is not based upon scarcity. It's based upon abundance. In the, in the kingdoms of this world, if you get more, I often get less. Why? It's scarcity-based. In the kingdom of heaven, it's abundance-based. The way for me to have more is to give it away. To him that hath, more shall be given. If I give, it will be returned to me, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's not scarcity. Throw all your freshman economics out the window. It's not scarcity-based. It is abundance-based. Do you need encouragement? Find somebody who needs it more than you and encourage them. Do you need hope? Find somebody that needs it more than you and go tell them, you have hope in God. Give it away and you will find yourself running over. Think about Jesus. What are we doing with this? We're not just fighting thoughts. We are displacing thoughts. Do you understand the difference? We are removing the seat and we're filling it with something else. We're not leaving the room empty. We're putting someone else in the room. I'm putting Jesus in that room. (laughs) I'm putting concern for others in that room. And finally, I am making sure to build all of my systems of making it through tough times. I make sure to build all of my mechanisms for coping with dilemmas in my life. I make sure I build them upon an eternal view, not a short-term view. Short-term thinking will trap us in a competitive environment where we're always competing one with another. But if you get an eternal environment in your mind, you won't have a competitiveness one toward another because at the end of the day, we all end up on streets of gold. I might have to preach a little bit here today. See, I scared you. No, I'm done. I want to put Jesus in the place of my fear. I want to put concern for others in the place of my fear. And I want to put eternity in the place of my 
stand with me all across the house. I want to pray over you right now. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual here today. We are acknowledging that we haven't the ability to break down strongholds by the coping efforts of our own mind and the wisdom of our own hearts. We need a spiritual authority in our lives, Lord Jesus. I'm praying that each individual here would understand that whatever condition they have gotten themselves in, it has been a result of them allowing their thoughts to reign unchecked in their mind. They need to start checking those thoughts. They need to start speaking truth to those lies. They need to start rejecting the narratives of the enemy. And they need to start standing upon your promises. Oh God, stir us from spiritual laziness. Stir us from the habits of allowing fear to have the the primacy of our life rather than your promise and your presence. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for everyone who is watching this. Maybe they're in their living room or their their kitchen right now, Lord. Let them feel your presence right where they are. I feel you here in this house, Lord. I'm so thankful you have joined with us and we can feel your presence. But I'm praying for those individuals separated from us and they feel isolated and perhaps even alone, uh, stuck in their circumstances. Lord Jesus, let them feel your presence right where they are. If they haven't felt your spirit in a long time, let the utterance of your spirit move on them right now, God. Let your word be a light in the middle of their dark context and their dark circumstance. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to push into the presence of the Lord here for a moment. We always end our services this way. We're so glad for our friends and guests. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you want to be dismissed at any time, you can slip out at any time. We're glad you've come. Our worship team is going to lead us into praise and worship. In a a moment, we're going to have a baptismal service. If you have a need, don't slip out, though. Step out. We have room down here at the front. Some of our pastoral team will be down here, and they'd like to join their faith to yours. They'd like to speak the name of Jesus over you. God bless you. Let's push into his presence here thank you for listening to first church charlotte if this podcast has blessed you please rate it with four or five stars by doing so you will help others find our free podcast and bless them if you're in the charlotte north carolina area come worship with us at 4929 north sharon amity road for information about service times church ministries and so much more visit us online at firstchurchclt.com If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.